Hey everyone, welcome to the Just Michelle Talking podcast, where guess what? It's just Michelle talking. Today I wanted to share with you something that actually came to mind again, because one of those Instagram memories came up where it said like, see your post from however many years ago, I think it was four years ago. And it was a picture of me eating afternoon tea at a schwanky hotel here in Melbourne. And why that picture is relevant and interesting to me is because I went to that swanky afternoon tea with my girlfriend who at the time we were chatting about traveling because she's a big traveler. And at that afternoon tea is where we hatched a trip to go to Antarctica. And so today I'm going to tell you a little bit about how that trip was hugely life-changing for so many reasons. And I learned a whole lot of lessons on that trip and I wanted to share them with you guys today. Firstly, I hope it encourages you to actually go to Antarctica. And secondly, because I just, it was truly life-changing. So let me, let me just get into it and then let's just see where this conversation leads. So in the Southern Hemisphere summer, which for those of you who don't know, the Southern Hemisphere summer is December, January, February of uh, 2018, 2019, I spent three weeks in and around Antarctica, including going to South Georgia and visiting the Falkland Islands. Now, I'd love to tell you some like super really romantic, amazing story about why I went there, how I wanted to walk in the footsteps of the polar explorers and how like penguins are my spirit animal and how my hippie heart needed to see the destruction of Antarctica before it all crashed into the ocean. Okay, technically that last part is kind of true. I did want to see it before, as we know, it is gone, although so much of it is gone already. And the the real truth of it is, I had no reason to go, or at least I had no reason to go, which was easily explained to the people who asked me. I have always felt drawn to go there. Literally, it was like a magnetic pull, which was kind of calling me to that seventh continent. I realized this sounds insane. And people who know me in real life know that I hate cold weather. So (laughs) I don't really know why, but I've always felt like I've wanted to go there. And over the years, I'd hear stories of people who went and I'd be like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get there someday. But yeah, I've just always wanted to go. I don't really know why. Now, when I finally got to go as a result of this conversation with my, with my friend Danielle, um, that, that's another story. We'll get there. Anyway, uh, so when I got onto the boat, so the only way to get to Antarctica is by, by boat. I think you actually can, can fly there too, but commercially, it's really by boat. So when I got onto the boat, which would be my home for three weeks, I had the good fortune to connect quickly and fairly closely with about a dozen or so other passengers. And we were all drawn together through a combination of being solo travelers, like we weren't there with family or a bunch of other friends, and also being a bit younger than many of the other passengers because it's very expensive to go to, I shouldn't say expensive, it just costs a lot to go to Antarctica. Well worth it, by the way. But we were all a bit younger because the people who frequent those tend to be people who are a little bit older and who can afford it uh, and who don't mind being away from their families over the Christmas season and that sort of stuff. So we were bonded by being a little bit younger. 
And one of the very first common questions people ask you on a trip like this is, so what brought you here? What made you want to come to Antarctica? Because something as big and time-consuming and adventurous and costly as three weeks in Antarctica is like not something you choose to go lightly. It's not like you're spending a week sucking down Coronas in Acapulco or like a week skiing in Canada or something. You really make the choice to go that far south very, very intentionally. And me personally, as I said, I had no like really great, amazing story, but many of my friends certainly did. You know, as a child, they saw an ad for penguins at the local aquarium and that ad like stayed with them ever since or their parents went and those parents have since passed. So they were traveling, you know, in, in memoriam of those parents or they were on a much larger journey of, you know, six months or more going to places far and wide and like ticking things off their bucket list some people went on that trip because they were really keen bird watchers or animal lovers and everyone it seemed had some sort of like really amazing story of arrival there and many of them had prepared for this trip for months if not years you know they saved up for a decade you know they researched digital cameras they bought cold weather gear and fancy waterproof camera bags and they read countless travel blogs and oh my goodness they read books and when i say books i mean like whole libraries of books about antarctic explorers and the unique environment and i'm like kind of embarrassed to say that like none of that was me <laughs> I didn't do any I, I did take me a couple of years to get there from the time I planned it because I had to save up but it wasn't like this was some I don't know I, I just didn't have this incredible like why I came to Antarctica story now I had the very good fortune to be traveling with my good friend and in the year before we went my life had hit a series of fairly significant road bumps and I was in a in a pretty terrible mental state and so I had left all the planning to her literally every single last detail I didn't read any books I didn't research Antarctic explorers I didn't buy fancy camera bags I didn't plan I didn't think I really didn't explore at all before this trip I just approved the itinerary she kind of shoved under my nose she picked it and I didn't bother to argue with it I, she's a very well seasoned traveler I just put all my faith in it and then I paid for it and a few weeks before leaving, I grabbed the suggested packing list and I madly bought all the things I needed. I didn't do any research. I just, they were like, you know, camera bag. I'm like, oh, I need to take a camera. <laughs> what? <laughs> so before I knew it, I was suddenly found myself on an airplane to Buenos Aires and then onto Ushuaia and then onto a boat, which would be leaving civilization far, far behind. Now, I also opted to go off the grid for that trip, and I purposely did not pay to connect to the internet, and I wanted to have total radio silence from my friends and my family and my work and my life in general, because if it didn't, if it didn't happen on that boat, then I didn't care that it happened. You know, whatever news was going to happen, I just didn't care, because I would be blissfully ignorant. I just didn't want to know. I wanted the world around me to be silenced. And as I went on that trip and the days were on, I collected more and more stories of why people ended up floating through that Antarctic sea. And, you know, I started to wonder if while there was no romantic and amazing reason as to why I'd come other than I knew I had to, then perhaps there was some great purpose to this trip. Like maybe it wasn't about 
going. It was about the actual trip itself. I mean, like maybe while I was there, I was meant to discover something about myself or I was meant to experience something or I was meant to do something remarkable. Now, it's definitely true that I'd kind of hoped that in the silence, I would find some of the answers to the questions I had. But in retrospect, I think those questions were pretty surface questions. You know, it had been a, it had been a hard year, like I said, and so I was really looking forward to that silence. I was really hoping that in the silence, answers would come. But you know, like in retrospect, there was, like I said, there was surface questions, right? I wanted to make some decisions about the future of my business. I wanted to think about the swirl of emotions around my impending divorce. I wanted to find some quiet among the noisy chaos of my mind, for somebody who needed to start an entire podcast just to empty her brain of stuff, you can imagine how noisy it is up there <laughs> on a pretty much constant basis. So I had this great vision that I would come off that trip with a whole bunch of clarity and answers as to what I should do next with my work, with my personal life, with my everything. You know, like in retrospect, silly me, right? Got on the ship with questions and thought that I would come off it with a ton of fully formed, very neat and tidy answers onto which I could plop a very sparkly bow and call it a day. Cool. Problemos solved. Tick. Yeah. Okay. That was not a thing. That did not happen. And days and days went by on that boat. Indescribable, truly indescribable days of wonder, of awe, overwhelming emotion for just how incredibly soul filling that part of the world is. And if you have even ever vaguely considered going, please go because no words I ever will say will do that experience justice. And as the days carried on, I found that I wasn't making any big decisions. I wasn't making any headway on my big adventure to get clarity and I never managed to find silence because as soon as it started to get quiet in my mind, my monkey brain would take off on a thousand mile an hour journey thinking about all we had seen and done that day. It just, it, it wasn't working. It was not a meditative experience. It was in fact a sensory, um, got onslaught of amazingness really is the best way to put it. So in, in short, there I am hoping for silence and answers, but I got really, really great at remaining in a noisy space, which seriously was not the point or the purpose of this experience. Now, in retrospect, the point of that trip was probably just to mindfully experience it. But being me, I had to come up with some bigger plan with this trip will give you the answers, Michelle. Uh, yeah, not. So like during, <laughs> during those early days of this trip, one of the people I became friends with in that group was a, a guy from the Netherlands, a lovely, lovely guy. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a second. And what I noticed about him is that he seemed to spend the vast majority of his time on the outside top deck of the boat staring into the sea. Now, I don't know if any of you have been on cruises before, but there are like whole days that go by where the only view is the sea and nowhere is this more true than Antarctica where it's just a lot of sea and a lot of ice in between birds. <laughs> so he used to spend like hours and hours, hours, nearly every time I went up to that deck to see the view, there he was standing in the middle of the deck against the railing, looking dead forward, earphones in, and kind of a, a small smile on his face. He hardly moved from that spot, 
but he never never looked unhappy. In fact, he looked like the most peaceful person I think I've ever seen. Now, every once in a while, I would go and I'd say hello and talk to him a little bit. And while he never said so, I always got the impression that I was interrupting his peace. You know, he really was the example of what I was trying to achieve there, right? But part of me, (laughs) possibly the dumb part of me, could never figure out what the hell he was doing up there for all those hours. It never occurred to me that perhaps maybe he too was seeking answers. I looked at him and on a very surface sense was like, the heck is that guy doing up there for so long? Like for heaven's sake. Look, on many days, there was a lot to see up there. Icebergs floating past and the humpback whales flicking tails. Penguins doing their absolutely beautiful jump and dive dance through the waves. You know, random little islands floating past or whole flocks of albatross. But on many days, there was just nothing. Just thousands upon thousands of miles of flat blue ocean stretching out as far as you could see in any direction. And in fact, one day I kind of uh, very unhelpfully and kind of wryly commented to him, we are so far from land that if this damn ship sinks, it's going to take them a full day to even find us out here. To which he just kind of like laughed and said, yeah, probably. And then went back to looking out over the ocean. And yet every single morning and many afternoons, there he was standing and looking out. And one day I approached and I stood next to him for a few minutes. Like, and I, look, I looked out to the water as well. And I was searching in vain to find this great show that he must be watching. Because surely he was seeing something I wasn't, right? And for the life of me, I couldn't work out what was so compelling about this vast, open nothingness which captivated his attention so much barely a wave by the way on most days to look at either just the bow of the boat slicing through the calm waters and so one day (laughs) i turned to him and i went i don't get it i just i've tried and i've looked and i don't get it what are you looking at there's literally nothing out there there's nothing to see and he pulled out an earphone and he turned to me and he said, you're wrong about that. There's a lot to see when there's nothing to see. And he then very calmly put his earphone back in, turned his face back to the water and he kept on looking out. Now look, not going to lie, I was exasperated by this and I had no idea what my ocean going Yoda was talking about. But I decided that like maybe I wasn't looking hard enough and that frankly, honestly, his comment made me feel like a bit of an idiot. Like, bloody yoga, there's nothing to see, there's a lot to see, and there's nothing to see. What does that even mean? (laughs) So I widened my stance for a bit of stability and I crossed my arms and I very stubbornly looked out across the water and monkey brain me was thinking, this guy is freaking nuts. There's nothing out there. But my combination of being very stubborn and I kind of wanted to impress him because the part I haven't told you is that he was pretty cute and I had a crush on him made me stand there and stand there and stand there determined to see what he could see that I couldn't. And as the minutes ticked by, I found myself kind of settling into a, into a certain quiet resignation, which then turned into a quiet appreciation 
I started to wonder what was out there and to think a lot about all the things we'd learned in the days leading up to that moment. So, for example, I knew that whales will often eat 100 kilos, that's about 220 pounds of krill per day. And when you consider that there are hundreds of whales out there at least, that means that there are millions, if not billions, of krill swimming out there too to sustain only the whale population. And that doesn't count the penguins that are also eating krill. And so not far below the surface of that water, I didn't realize it until that minute. I was actually looking at billions of life forms, not just the ones I might see, krill or whales or seals or penguins, but also bacteria, microorganisms, things I simply couldn't see at all and would never see. And if I allowed myself to mentally imagine what it might look like below the surface of that water, then in fact, there was a whole lot to see. Now, this might sound really obvious, but it didn't occur to me at that moment that while I was lamenting the boredom of looking at nothing, in fact, I was looking at a world that was entirely different than my own. The longer I stood there, the more I became aware of what I was seeing. And the more I became focused on what I was seeing and what was out there, the quieter my mind got. And then the strangest thing happened. As time went on, I stopped thinking about the sea and I stopped thinking about what billions of life forms might be in it. And I started to think about nothing, literally nothing. I just stood there and I looked out at that vast expanse of ocean and I just breathed in and out and in and out. And I suppose in retrospect, Maybe it was like a meditative state. I can't really say now. But what started as a very irritable fine then, I'm just going to stand here pretending like I give a shit about an open sea, became an eerily quiet experience. At moments, I could no longer hear the sea or I could no longer hear the wind or the noise of the boat's engine or even my own breathing. And I remember thinking, oh, I totally get it. That moment up on deck is entirely unforgettable to me because it ended up being the start of many, many lessons I would learn on that trip, including some that he would teach me. And, and we started to spend some more time together and he taught me the need to not talk. <laughs> he taught me how to shed the need to make noise and he taught me how to instead find the quiet. Those hours and hours on deck taught me how to look below the surface of what I see and how to remain engaged and interested, but choose to observe rather than comment. He taught me that it's only when you stop talking that you suddenly hear so much more. And in fact, that experience of standing on that deck and looking out into nothingness gave me what I was actually looking for on this trip. I wasn't searching for answers. I was searching for peace. My mind was so chaotic. And what I needed that trip to do is actually teach me that I can be quiet, that I can listen, that there's much to see when there's nothing to see. There's much to hear when there is no noise. 
peace was what I was after. I just wouldn't have called it that. I would have called it answers to questions. I would have called it meeting interesting people. I would have called it learning about new things. I would have called it loving the environment, whatever. And a few days later, I would learn the real and true purpose of this trip, which was in fact to find peace. But this kind of comes back to a little bit of a different expression. Now, in one of our many Zodiac rides, which are those little inflatable dinghies that you use to tool around the Antarctic with, we learned that at this time of year, the baby penguins are shedding their external furry brown coat and acquiring their sleek, waterproof black and white adult feathers. Most people, when they imagine a penguin, just imagine a penguin in its tuxedo looking all dapper, black and white. But baby penguins don't start out that way. They start out very, very, very fluffy. It was so fluffy, I could die. And brown and wholly unattractive. <laughs> they look like really fluffy 1970s armchairs, kind of. So this process of a baby penguin losing all its fluffy brown feathers and becoming that waterproof, slick, amazing, you know, very attractive penguin in a tuxedo is called a catastrophic molt which I just think is such a wonderful expression. Now it's called catastrophic because it happens all at once. Now, I don't mean that like one day they're standing there in the brown featherness and then like poof, it all falls to the ground like in some sort of fabulous cartoon. That's not what I mean. The catastrophic bit refers to every feather is getting replaced. So it's catastrophic because not a single brown feather is left behind. They get replaced with these these white and black ones. Visually, it's actually like a really funny sight because you've got these penguins, which kind of look like they're wearing like a really terrible fur scarf or a vest or like a moth-eaten coat because it happens bit by bit. A friend of mine actually made a comment which still sticks with me to this day, which I think actually describes what happened to me on that boat and what the purpose of that trip was. So she actually described it as it feels like we've all come on this trip to go through an emotional catastrophic molt. And her words truly felt like a metal wrench dropping onto a table with a giant clang. It was like, oh, that's what this trip is about. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to listen, not talk. I'm here to see things where there's nothing to see. I'm here to find peace. I'm here to replace old thoughts and old patterns with new ones. I'm here to have an emotional catastrophic molt. Every single person I met on that trip had come with some purpose, a need to change something, a need to honor people they loved, a need to satisfy a childhood curiosity, a need to fulfill a dream that they had for whatever reason. And at some point, every single one of us needed to, for those at least few short weeks, stop talking and start listening. One of my most favorite experiences on that trip was going on a Zodiac ride and being in the midst of this watery, blue, white, icy expanse and asking the person driving the Zodiac to turn it off so we could just listen. And 10 people are sitting in that boat and that outboard motor turns off and we just sat there listening to total silence. Very, very rarely broken by a little crack of ice or water lapping up against the side of the Zodiac, but it was 
an incredible experience to learn to stop talking and start listening. So many people came on that trip with a clear intention. And in order to fully realize that intention, they had to experience their own catastrophic molt. And my own happened that morning on the deck, looking out to the not at all empty sea and the not at all view of nothing because so much was happening just below the surface. And I shed the need to make noise. I shed the need to be stuck in my head. I shed the need to let the chaos reign. And I embraced the new, slightly waterproof, slightly sleeker me, the one who could see below the surface, embrace the quiet and learn the value of simultaneously looking at nothing, but also looking at something. What I thought was a view of nothing was a view not only into myself, but a view out over an entire world I knew nothing about. And every day that I'm not there, that world still carries on. And it was a really good reminder that just below the surface of so many things are so many other things we will never see, never know, and never experience. So that trip was truly life-changing, and it took many, many months to actually fully realize the incredible effect of that catastrophic molt and the shedding of so many surface things that I didn't even know that I had, right? So it was an incredible experience. I will say that it was an incredible experience from so many levels. Environmentally, I learned a lot. Emotionally, I, as you just heard, I learned a lot. I made some incredible friends. I had. It was just a life-changing experience like no other. And I should also say that for me, that was a big emotional catastrophic mold. For some people, the mold was just, you know, no longer needing to tick off the box of I'm going to do this someday or finally being able to honor their parents or whatever it is they were doing. We all found different ways to kind of realize what our purpose in going there was. And it was truly a life-changing experience. And he was right, you know, there is a lot to see when there's nothing to see. But you just have to be prepared to stubbornly look out at the ocean or look out at what it is you're trying to, to look at and sort of force yourself to look at it for a while until eventually the vision becomes very, very clear. I think... I'll end today as I end all the other days because it feels good to say it, which is that may we all be happy. May we all be healthy. May we all be safe and may we all be at peace. Even if you haven't yet found that peace, I hope someday you find it. You don't have to go to Antarctica to get it.